and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. Welcome back after the Thanksgiving holiday. My name is Cody Clark. His name is Evan Eichen. Evan, uh, how was your uh, Thanksgiving holiday, my man? You enjoy it? Yeah, it was a much-needed time to just sort of relax and recharge. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of bummed that it's over, but it was going to have to end sooner or later. But we are at the home stretch of the decade and the year. It's, uh, it's It should be a fun December, sports-wise. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start with the fun December football last night on Monday night. We had the Seahawks and the Minnesota Vikings. It was a big, big matchup in terms of where these two teams stand in the NFC playoff picture and what that photograph of the playoffs looks like today. Evan, a 37-30 win for Seattle they vault up to the number two seed in the NFC standings by virtue of that win last night over the Vikings. The Vikings stormed back, but Kirk Cousins and company didn't have enough in the tank to take down the Seahawks. And Evan, I was looking at some stats, and an interesting one that popped out to me was the fact that Kirk Cousins has yet to win a Monday night football game. This is a guy that if you look at his statistics, you look at how it breaks down. He's been really, really good against teams that are sub-500, but when you put him in these primetime contests, uh, it has not gone well for Kirk Cousins, and that continued last night falling to the Seahawks and remaining winless in his career on Monday Night Football. That was a stat that I found would be a little bit jarring because I thought that he would have won at least one of those games when he was w- with the Redskins, but he finished 22 of 38, 276 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. But give credit to Minnesota for fighting back in that game because Seattle scored 17 points in the third quarter and they immediately took the and they had a 34-17 lead immediately in the fourth quarter and you just kind of felt okay, well, Seattle's just going to pull this away. Uh, but they really didn't. Uh the the Minnesota's ground game never got off the ground after Dalvin Cook left the game with an injury. The the entire team combined to rush for 78 yards and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs is actually the team's second leading rusher. He had one carry for 27 yards. Alexander Madison, the Boise State guy, had four had four carries for 22. Meanwhile, in Seattle, Chris Carson ran for over 100 yards. Rashad Penny had 74 yards and a touchdown. This is a Seattle team that made it all the way to the top two, and the 49ers, who entered Monday morning as the number one seed, have fallen all the way down to number five, and now they'll have to play Dallas in Dallas if the playoffs started right now, so... Not a lot of margin for error in the NFC playoffs. No, not at all. You mentioned it. It's New Orleans at the top now with the one seed and Seattle with the two. Uh, New Orleans wins the head-to-head win percentage uh, tiebreaker there, so that's what separates those two, but they are both 10-2. and And then you have Green Bay 9-3. and You have the Dallas Cowboys 6-6 six and six at the four seed. And then you have San Francisco 10-2. and two. Uh, Minnesota in that sixth spot, eight and four. And Evan, a team that is, I think, taking a, a advantage of their schedule. They got a win over the Cardinals. It's a tough one, uh, a tough road for the LA Rams. 
They have the Seahawks, Cowboys, 49ers next, but another date with the Cardinals. They've won two of their last three and now just a game behind Minnesota. And when you look at that Minnesota Vikings team with the loss last night, they go to 8-4. and four. They have the Lions, Chargers, Packers, and Bears. So, Evan, I'd say it's, it's, it's definitely an easier road for Minnesota to hold on to that sixth spot but it's definitely going to get interesting here late as the Rams are kind of kind of hard charging there. It feels like it's a little too little too late for the LA Rams because the last time we saw them, uh, we were really excited about that Monday night game against the Baltimore Ravens, and Lamar Jackson just destroyed them. Y- you wonder what happens with the LA Rams if they wind up missing the playoffs because last year they were in the Super Bowl everyone if you met Sean McVay at like a party you were getting head coaching interviews <laughs> and now they're on the outside looking in a good chunk of their cap is uh committed to only a handful of guys and they have no draft capital so if the Rams wind up missing the playoffs, which is pretty likely, you wonder if how how long of a leash McVeigh's going to end up having because the Philadelphia Eagles were a team that less than two years ago won a Super Bowl and now they're five and seven have really no offense to speak of. And you wonder if their window is already closed. You know, in in the NFL, windows do not last long. So you have to take advantage of what you have while you still have it. Because think of where we were two years ago. The Jacksonville Jaguars almost went to the Super Bowl. And now they're 4-8 and eight and, it look, and they're staring down the barrel of cleaning house. I mean, the the Miami Dolphins, we thought we're going to go 0-16. They're three and nine, and they look like probably the best three and nine team we've seen in a long time. This, it's a it's a weird sport. I think that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's a a bunch of these teams are in very interesting spots. You mentioned you talked about the Rams. You know they they're in a spot where, as you mentioned, coming off the Super Bowl seven and five, they're trying to push for the playoffs this year but they have a ton of money tied up in guys and they don't really have any draft capital uh, having traded for the likes of Jalen Ramsey and, and those guys. So they're just, they're in a very interesting spot to try and improve their team to try and get better, but they're facing those big cap numbers and the inability to get guys through the draft, which is how you do it cheaply. Uh, and then you, as you talked about the dolphins, you know, People, the the tank for Tua thing. Well, Miami now has three wins. You saw Cincinnati get the first win. You saw Washington grab a win. They're now three and nine. So a bunch of these teams are in very interesting spots, especially the teams at the bottom of the league. You know, they're really fighting. They're, they're you know, it's one of those things where, and when we talk about tanking, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, they're tanking. The teams are tanking, but it's the front office who is tanking. It, it's the Miami Dolphins front office that has traded away some of their better players. It's not like the players on the field aren't trying. That's uh, You can see that by how they're playing. I mean, they're 3-9, and nine, and they just beat the Eagles, and they have a win over the Colts and the Jets. Like you know, And they've been in a lot of contests, only lost to 10 
uh, by 10, excuse me, in Buffalo against the Bills. Uh, another close game with the Bills. You had a, a tight loss to the Redskins uh, and then the early season blowouts. But these teams are fighting hard to win games. It's the organizations who are putting them in a tough position by trading away the talent. Uh, and it's just interesting to see a lot of these teams, especially towards the bottom of the league, really coming up with wins in some of these games late in the year here where we thought that was not going to happen. Uh, Evan, another game that stands out past the game last night, the Seattle and Minnesota game, and one that we wanted to talk about, was Deshaun Watson and company as Watson grabbed his first win over Tom Brady and the Patriots it was 28-22 to 22 on Sunday Night Football. The scoreline indicative of a much closer game. Houston was really in control of that contest early on. But Evan Deshaun Watson grabs his first win over Tom Brady. Brady did have uh, 300 yards and three touchdowns, but a lot of that coming late in the game as they tried to claw back in it. We were talking about it, Evan, where do you put the New England Super Bowl chances or maybe a percentage chance of, of their uh, getting to or winning the Super Bowl? Because we know, you know, the head coach, defense, special teams, they're good enough to win a Super Bowl. The offense has struggled without an over-the-top threat, and we saw that again against the Texans because – Houston has those guys, and they were able to take advantage of it. Houston looked like the younger, fresher team out there. But in terms of how, how do I feel about the Patriots' playoff chances, I'm operating under the same premise as Greg Popovich and the Spurs. Like I will never, I will never count them out. Like <laughs> New England could be down thirty-five to seven with three minutes left and I still feel like Tom Brady would find a way to score twenty-eight points and send that game to overtime. Like I am not going to say it's not gonna happen. So the AFC playoff picture right now, Baltimore has the number one seed by virtue of their head to head tiebreaker in New England. New England is the number two seed. Houston and Kansas City are both eight and four. As it stands right now, Houston is the number three, Kansas City is the number four. Buffalo seems locked into number five because they have a two-game lead over everybody else. And Mike Tomlin, who is getting coach of the year buzz, has somehow, with that stripped-down, injury-riddled Pittsburgh Steelers roster, is seven and five and has a second wild-card spot. The job that he's done there is really impressive. So to, to, to go back to the New England point, like, I... I'm, I've, I've looked stupid in the past saying that it's over and they're not going to the Super Bowl, and I'm not about to do it now. Like, until I see them lose, I'm just going to say that they're going to win. No, definitely. I, I mean, I'm right there with you. You have Baltimore and New England both tied at 10-2, and two, but obviously Baltimore with the head-to-head -head win over the Patriots, so they have the number one seed in the AFC playoff picture. Houston at 8-4, and four, they're just above Kansas City, as Evan pointed out. Evan, Buffalo is an interesting team to me because we know defensively one of the top units in the NFL. Josh Allen has played much better. The turnovers are way down. Uh, John Brown has really jumped out and emerged in the last few games. They handled the Cowboys in Dallas on Thanksgiving. It's now three straight wins uh, against the Dolphins, Broncos, and Cowboys. It is a very tough road for Buffalo the rest of the way. They have the Ravens, the Steelers, the Patriots, and the Jets. 
but they seem to be locked into that five spot. And Evan, they are a team that I definitely would not like to see in the playoffs because of that defense. And, you know, you've got Josh Allen making plays and not turning the ball over as much. That team could be a very tough out. It depends on who they get in the playoffs. And also, our old KCRW colleague, uh, Vinny Paraselli, was at that game in Dallas. This is a Buffalo Bills team that was feeding off of what was perceived as a weak schedule and they hadn't played anybody. So let's see what happens when they go against a team that most people expect to make the playoffs. And what we got was a Buffalo Bills team that harassed Dak Prescott. He was under duress for a good chunk of that game. And Frank Gore passed Barry Sanders last week to be in the top three all-time in rushing, which is a testament for how long that guy's lasted. But this is a Buffalo Bills team that at times last year was considered the worst offense in the history of the league. Like the coaching job that Sean McDermott has done in one year building around Josh Allen, giving him a guy, giving him guys like John Brown and Cole Beasley drafting Ed Oliver in the first round. That's paid off. Uh, You know, we thought that, well, what's this team going to look like now that they let LaShawn McCoy go? Well, Devin Singletary has made that look like, a smart decision. McCoy's off in Kansas city while Singletary and Gore have picked up the load rushing wise for Buffalo. This has been quite the transformation from 2018 to 2019. No, it really has. And if you look at Josh Allen since week five, he's only thrown one interception. Uh, I had a touchdown against Dallas passing a couple against Denver, three against Miami, a couple against Philly and Miami. So he has played much better. We know that he can run the ball as well. He has uh, almost 500 rushing yards and has another eight touchdowns on the ground running the football. And he's done a nice job. He's made made plays. He has 16 touchdowns, eight interceptions, uh, almost 2,600 yards. It's not pretty at times. Uh, It's a little stop and start at times, but he's really done a nice job taking care of the ball here recently. And for their efforts, uh, Buffalo has really, really solidified themselves uh, into that five spot so far. Now, as you mentioned, and as we talked about, the schedule is very, very tough coming up. They will play uh, three playoff teams and the Jets, who have been a little bit better as of late, albeit just uh, falling to the Cincinnati Bengals. But it's a tough road for Buffalo they are 9-3. and three. You would think that's enough wins to be able to get you in uh, already, but the way the Steelers and the Titans are charging, you may need to get to 10 uh, or 11 just to be safe. But Buffalo's playing much better. And Evan, I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on Mike Tomlin and the Steelers because you talked about it. That offense has suffered a ton of injuries, and they benched Mason Rudolph. Devlin Hodges comes in, who we saw play well earlier in the season, and Pittsburgh just keeps on plugging along. You know, this is a team that you and I both didn't want to count out uh, at the onset of the season, and then Ben Roethlisberger got hurt, uh, and after that, it's just been a revolving door offensively, but they have beaten the Bengals. They just beat the Cleveland Browns, which 
makes their road, uh, Cleveland's road, much, much tougher to try and push for a playoff spot here late in the year. But you cannot fault, uh, you cannot really find uh, anything wrong with what Mike Tomlin is doing with this team because they are just hanging around. They are right now, as we looked at it, in the playoff picture, they would win a tiebreaker over Tennessee based on conference uh, win percentage. So, you know, Evan, those those Coach of the Year votes probably keep coming here late in the season for Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. This is a team that look at how much turnover they've had from last year. I mean, Le'Veon Bell didn't play last year, but he's no longer on the roster. Antonio Brown's not there anymore. They were missing. Marquise Pouncey got suspended. No James Conner. No Juju. With a going into the season... Devlin Hodges wasn't a third-string quarterback. He was the fourth-string quarterback because they still had Josh Dobbs, but they traded Josh Dobbs to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then the very next week, Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. And what he is able to do with this roster, with this is the most talented roster Cleveland's had probably ever, and they still beat the Cleveland Browns even with all of those injuries and they're just finding a way to make it work. I know that a good chunk of Raiders fans, Raiders, excuse me, uh, Steelers fans were out on Mike Tomlin because he couldn't beat Bill Belichick, but nobody's beating Bill Belichick. And he's showing that, you know, this guy can coach. I mean, how many other guys could take a fourth string undrafted rookie and now you're six and one in your last seven and have the six seed right now. This is insane. No, it really, really is. And, you know, there was the chatter when they were struggling earlier on, you know, there was all this, you know, it, could they, could they let Mike Tomlin go? Would Mike Tomlin want to go take the, uh, the Washington Redskins job? They started 0 and three, they were one and four to begin the year and all they've done since then, as you mentioned, they have reeled off, uh, what is that, six of their last seven. So this team uh, is really, really playing well here late in the year. You know, they're doing just enough. They, they've been without Connor. They've been without Washington. Uh, they're, you know, Mason Rudolph, they benched him for, for uh, Devlin Hodges, for Duck Hodges. So it has just been, I think, revolving door has is a really good descriptor for it. That's been what it is for Pittsburgh, and yet with Mike Tomlin at the helm, they just continue to fight. They continue to come every week and play hard, and right now they are a playoff team for their efforts. Uh, the Tennessee Titans right there at 7-5 and five as well. They've played really, really well with uh, Ryan Tannehill at quarterback after benching Marcus Mariota. Evan, let's talk about real quick uh, this Tennessee Titans team because this is this they're in an interesting spot for me because you have Ryan Tannehill looks like you're going to move on from Marcus Mariota Tannehill's deal is up as well and I would think the way that he's played some of the other teams around the league may be searching for a quarterback uh, somebody to maybe bridge the gap until they draft their next guy they might be looking at Ryan Tannehill but if you're the Tennessee Titans the way that you've played lately with Tannehill at the helm Tennessee just beat the Colts 31-17. to They've won three in a row. You can't let that guy go, can you? I don't think you can, but 
I don't know if Ryan Tannehill is the answer, you know, four or five years from now. Maybe you take a chance at a guy in a couple of years and you just hang on to Tannehill as a bridge guy. But the guy that really makes that offense go is Derrick Henry. Cody, in his last 16 games, Derrick Henry has rushed for over 1,700 yards and 18 touchdowns. He might be the best running back in the NFL, but this is a Tennessee Titans team that Mariota, it seemed like they were headed toward another lost season with Mariota. They threw Tannehill out there, and you wonder how much better position the the Titans would be in if they had gone to Ryan Tannehill sooner. So the last four games for Tennessee, they get the Raiders in Oakland on Sunday, and then it's Texans, Saints, and then the Texans again to finish out the year. If I'm picking between them and Pittsburgh to make the playoffs, I want to say Tennessee's going to get in, but I feel like they might go one and three in their last four games. They could, they could. I just I like that running game a lot, and I trust that running game a lot more than I do uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, and where they're at offensively. So I guess I would say Tennessee there, although you mentioned it, it's a tough road the rest of the way. It's going to be interesting to watch. Evan, real quick before we wrap up with the NFL discussion, the Jacksonville Jaguars and uh, Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew. Nick Foles was benched uh, this week. Jacksonville, the uh, I believe it was his first three drives. They turned the ball over. Jacksonville now four and eight, coming off that twenty-eight to eleven loss to the Bucks, and they have benched Nick Foles. Gardner Minshew is back in. Minshew was four and four uh, in his in his games for the Jags. What's next for Nick Foles and this team? Because there is a ton of money tied up in him. He's had the strangest career, I think, of any quarterback I can think of. He he has that one year in 2013 where he throws for 27 touchdowns, two interceptions with Chip Kelly that first year, including the seven-touchdown game. The next two seasons combined, he throws for 20 touchdowns. In 2015, after he left the St. Louis Rams, well, they were then the St. Louis Rams. He was going to retire. He is talked out of retirement by Andy Reid to go be a backup in Kansas City for a year. Winds up back in Philadelphia after Carson Wentz gets hurt, wins the Super Bowl, and now he's benched for Gardner Minshew. Can you think of a more bizarre roller coaster career arc for a player? Than, than Nick Foles, because I can't think of one. No, uh, he's he's towards the top of that list. And Evan, I, I was I was listening just just to some uh, national radio guys and and just thinking about this situation. If you're Jacksonville, you know you you've got I think it was I think it's like an eighty eight million dollar contract. It's fifty million guaranteed. You'd love to be able to try and trade him away at this point because he just hasn't performed. But there is so much of that contract that would hit against the cap in terms of dead money if you were to cut him or try and move on from him without trading him. They are just in such a tough spot because, you know, bringing him in 
you'd think that with the the defense is pretty solid in Jacksonville. You're thinking if your ownership, you know, maybe you know we're you know we can find that guy. You know, you saw Nick Foles lead Philly to a Super Bowl. You're thinking he can come in with Leonard Fournette in the running game. You've got a couple of weapons outside. Uh, DJ Chark Jr. has really come on nicely as uh, as an NFL receiver. So you had some weapons. You had some guys in place. You brought in Nick Foles thinking that was going to be a guy that could get you back into the playoffs if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it just did not work out that way. Uh, Nick Foles, less than 800 yards in four games, uh, 65% passer, three touchdowns, a couple interceptions. Uh, his rating was 33.6, or his QBR, excuse me, 33.6. Just not working out if you're Jacksonville, but you're kind of stuck. I mean, you're basically now paying Nick Foles a massive amount of money to be the backup to a sixth-round pick. You are paying him a massive amount of money, but what would the trade market for him be like? Because we already know a handful of teams, like the the Bengals are going to move on from the Bengals are going to move on from Dalton uh, because because they're one at eleven have the number one pick, so they're going to take a quarterback. Miami is going to take a quarterback. You could maybe Tampa Bay moves on from Winston, maybe. Chicago moves on from Trubisky. You don't I don't if you try to trade him, I don't know what the market for him would be. Like what what could you get for a Nick Foles right now? Well, yeah, I, I don't think the market would be would be very big at all. You'd basically just be giving him away to try and get out from under the that salary, which I mean at this point if you could find somebody to do it, I, I think you would and you'd just roll with Gardner Minshew, but I think they're going to be stuck with that Nick Foles contract, and he's going to be the uh, backup to Gardner Minshew for the rest of the season. Uh, they'll try and get him, I guess, fully healthy and see what happens from there. But uh, for now, Gardner Minshew takes the reins of this Jags team, and they have you know the uh, the most expensive backup in the NFL right now. So uh, going to be something interesting to watch because, as you you uh, you point out. I don't think you're going to be able to move off of that with some of the other guys that are going to be available, with guys coming in the draft. I, I just think you're you're probably stuck with that uh, with that contract. Real quick before we wrap up, take a gander at a couple of the games coming up this weekend. You've got some big ones. Uh, Baltimore is in Buffalo in the one o'clock slate. San Francisco is at New Orleans. You, uh, you and I talked about it. San Francisco's uh, scheduled to close out the year very, very tough. Uh, you have Kansas City at New England as well and Seattle at the Rams. So, uh, Evan, which, uh, I guess, one of those games are you most focused on uh, here in uh, Week 14? I know which game I'm the least focused on, and poor Monday Night Football having to watch <laughs> – Having to watch the Eagles play against the Giants, ooh boy, um, uh, that matchup is not looking as good as they thought it was going to look. Uh, I want to see just how much momentum does the Houston does Houston take into Denver because Drew Locke didn't look great in his first start, but he did enough to win his first game. You know, if you're Houston, you're coming off that big emotional win. You just beat Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. It 
is the Denver game going to be a letdown for the Houston Texans? I, I, I think that's the one that I'm most looking forward to is what happens to Houston after that big win. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a that's a great, great point. I've got my eye on that Buffalo-Baltimore game. Uh, I, I just I don't know what it is, but I, I really like what Buffalo is doing. Uh, offensively, I don't think they have enough to really make a, a serious run uh, late into the playoffs, deep into the playoffs. But defensively, they are good enough with Josh Allen continuing to not turn the ball over uh, here in the you know the last five or six weeks or so. I'm interested to see how they try and contain Lamar Jackson and, and what they can do against this Ravens team who, as I believe, won eight in a row. They're on the road in Buffalo. That's going to be a game that I am very interested to watch. All right, Evan, let's stick with football. Let's slide to the ranks of college football. It is a massive weekend as you have your various uh, conference championship games coming up. The I believe the poll comes out tonight. The most recent one, last week, Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4, and Alabama was five, but that's probably no longer as Auburn beat Alabama this past weekend. Evan, let's start there with that game. I don't know if you watched it, but that game was wild. Auburn winning 48-45. to uh, And Auburn winning that game that way, despite a, a real stop-and-start sputtering offensive performance, but they got a, a, a couple of key turnovers uh, a couple of interception returns, and they outlast Alabama 48-45. Uh, that ends Alabama's hopes at the college football playoff, Auburn improving to 9-3. and I mean, what a game that was. Well, of course I was watching it because it sent you a text midway through the game where it's like, well, I guess the Iron Bowl decided defense was optional <laughs> because it was – I think they scored something along the lines of like 28 points within like the last five minutes of the first half. I'm still trying to figure out how they were able because they ended up winning by three and this point and this play ended up being a huge deal considering the margin of victory is Auburn. It looked like the time ran out at the end of the first half but they went to replay. He, they had one second left, and they were able to snap the ball and kick and kick a 52-yard field goal before halftime all in one second, which I was trying to figure out how they did that because as soon as they blew the whistle, the clock's going to start. There's no way they're going to have enough time to snap it. Well, they did, and they got the three points out of it. Then they had the 100-yard pick six. They had another pick six in that game, so Auburn got two defensive touchdowns. And Alabama lost in probably the most un-Alabama way we can think of is they got caught with 12 guys. They got caught with 12 guys while they were going to get the ball back. And you just wonder, what what is next year going to look like for Nick Saban? Because Alabama believes that they should be in the title game every year. And you know that Alabama's not happy that they're going to be on the outside looking in. Uh, that, But all in all, it was a great Iron Bowl. Bo Nix, as a freshman, winning the Iron Bowl. Uh, I don't think he's going to worry in a couple of years about getting a drink in Auburn. Uh, 
he, I think his drinks are going to be paid for for the next couple of years when he's able to do it. Yeah. He's not going to have right, to. So here are the projections as of right now, according to 538. Right now, Georgia currently occupies the number four spot. The other teams that have a chance to get in are Oklahoma, Utah, Baylor, and Wisconsin. Well, Wisconsin has two losses, but they're in the Big Ten title game, so we'll just put them in there for the purposes of this discussion. With the the highest chance to get into the playoff at the number four spot, Oklahoma has a 57% chance, according to 538. Georgia has 46, Utah 28, Baylor 18, and then Wisconsin down at number eight. Oregon is technically still alive at a 2% chance. So here's how the numbers go. If Oklahoma wins, Georgia loses, and Utah wins, Oklahoma's chances go all the way up to 81% to get in, Utah down to 38%. So, according to 538, Oklahoma is the most likely to get to that number four spot. Do you agree with that number? You know, I do because I think you you look at the two teams, you'd have Oklahoma and Utah right there. You look at those two teams, both of them really, in terms of strength of schedule, there's something to be desired there, but... Oklahoma, a Texas team that was ranked when they beat them. Uh, Baylor, who is still uh, ranked very highly, a massive comeback win against Baylor for Oklahoma. And then they just beat a ranked Oklahoma State team. And now playing Baylor again, who is still ranked in the top 10 uh, in the AP poll. We'll see in the college football where they stand. I believe they were... Where were they at in the last one? I think they were nine. So, you know, with their their win, they'll probably still be right there. So you look at it, and now Oklahoma a chance to add another win over Baylor. So that would be another win over a ranked team. Their resume, albeit very, very weak in the conference outside of really those Baylor games, but it's still something that's much, much stronger than Utah's because, you you know, you had Utah lose – I believe their lone loss was to a USC team on like their third string quarterback, and they really haven't had a marquee game outside of that. This one in the championship game in the Pac-12 against Oregon is that game. So I do agree with those numbers. I think Oklahoma would 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 get in uh, much quicker than Utah would because that resume is much stronger. And it's kind, you know, it's a, it's a what have you done for me lately type of thing. And with the comeback win over Baylor, they beat Oklahoma State. You beat Baylor again. You win the Big Twelve championship. I think Oklahoma will have done enough to get in. Oklahoma made the playoff last year with Kyler Murray, but they ended up losing to Alabama in that game. I think you, I think Utah has a chance to get in because if Baylor beats Oklahoma. If Baylor beats Oklahoma and Utah wins, Utah's chances go all the way up to 74%. So it's a lot of, well, if this happens and if that happens. But this is a Utah team that, yes, they lost to to a USC team that wound up being fair to middling. But I, I think they have the best chance outside of Oklahoma I'm I'm discounting 
I don't think Baylor's going to get any, even if they win the Pac-12. Wisconsin's already got two losses. Oregon's got two losses. You know, it's really a three-team race for that final spot. And we haven't talked about what happens if LSU loses. If LSU loses to Georgia, their playoff hopes go all the way down to 16%, according to 538. Wow. if LSU loses to Georgia, they could be on the outside looking in. So major implications going into this game, as it stands right now, Clemson has the best chance to make the playoffs at 93%. Ohio State at 86. LSU is only sitting at a 63% chance right now. That's crazy to me because, you know, I know, as I mentioned, you know, it's uh, it's much better to lose early in the year than late in the year. But what this LSU team has done and the wins they have on their schedule, even if they were to lose to Georgia, man, I would be hard-pressed. I could see them flipping, you know, so Georgia would go to two, LSU would fall to four, but it would be hard for me to leave them out completely. Yeah, that'd be a really hard sell. They were the number one team in the country. They have four wins against top ten teams. They beat Alabama in Alabama I don't know how you could leave LSU out if they lose like that. When I first saw that they have a less than 65% chance, according to 538's metrics right now, it was kind of flooring to me. Like I thought they would be a lot closer to Ohio state with like an 80 something percent chance, but let's play this out and let's assume Oklahoma gets the number four spot. Then that would mean, Oklahoma, it would be Oklahoma, Ohio State, if assuming Ohio State stays at number one, and they probably will, and then Clemson and LSU. If you could only watch one of those games, which one Which one are you watching? Clemson, LSU would be my pick, I think. Okay. Ohio State, Oklahoma. Yeah, I, Clemson, LSU would be my pick. Do you want to expand on why? Yeah, so I have Joe Burrow, I have Trevor Lawrence, I have both of those teams, uh, both of those quarterbacks, excuse me, leading their respective teams. I really, really like the weapons that Clemson has. I've been high on them all year. You know, I've been saying uh, that that I think Clemson, you know, for all of the soft schedule that they have, you know, Clemson is one of the top couple of teams in the country, in my opinion. I think they're going to show that in the college football playoff. The ability of the of that matchup to give us Joe Burrow against that Clemson defense, that Clemson defensive line. Uh, likewise, Trevor Lawrence going against a, a pretty decent LSU defense and some of the different weapons they have there on the back end. Uh, Travis Etienne versus Clyde Edwards Elaire. That would be that would be a, a really really fun matchup LSU and Clemson. And so if I had to only watch one of those, and that was the two matchups we got, I would take LSU and Clemson because. I like Jalen Hurts and what Oklahoma is doing, but the way Ohio State is playing that game could, uh, and the way that Oklahoma, albeit a little bit improved this year defensively, has struggled at times. Ohio, you know, they would be very hard pressed to slow down that Ohio State team. So I would take LSU Clemson to watch. Well, either way, the Tigers would win that game. <laughs> right. So either way, the Tigers would win. Like the Ohio State Oklahoma game has a. That game could go one of two ways. It's either going to a be a down to the wire shootout where the guy that where the team that has the ball last wins, or Ohio State gets a couple of turnovers and you look up and it's over halfway through the third quarter. I, I don't think there's an in between there. 
Ohio State with J.K. Dobbins and Justin Fields and the wide receivers of Victor and Olave. I don't know how you stop Justin Fields in that offense. J.K. Dobbins is about as close to as an unstoppable running back as there is. And, oh, you want to stop J.K. Dobbins? No problem. We'll just, throw, we'll just throw the ball to Victor and Olave. And then if you try and stop Victor and Olave, okay, we'll just give the ball to J.K. Dobbins. They, I don't know how you slow down this Ohio State, this Ohio State team, especially when you consider that that Michigan game, it wound up being, it was a competitive game for a while. And then Ohio state just looked up and decided now we're going to end this. And then they just pulled away at the end there, which means that Jim Harbaugh is now 0 and five in the Ohio state, Michigan rivalry. That's, I feel bad for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, they're nine and three right now, going to a bowl game, looking at a ten and three season. And you know they talk about like fire Harbaugh, fire Harbaugh. Okay, fine. Who is out there that you're going to get right now that is better than Jim Harbaugh? If Michigan decides that they're going to part ways with him, who who are you going to get? No, I'm right there with you, Evan. I've been on that. You know. Who's out there? Like, it, it, for me, it's the same thing as the Auburn fans or, or the the people with Auburn that want Gus Malzahn out. Like, I, I mean, okay, like you know, I, I guess I can understand some of your arguments, but at the same time, look at the success that they've had against Alabama, beating Alabama, and just look at where they're at right now. They, you know, Auburn has maybe the best defense in the country. And they have a freshman quarterback. I mean, you're gonna see you're gonna see that Auburn team continue to take steps as well with Bo uh, with Bo Nix, and you've seen the flashes from him. Alabama, or, or excuse me, Evan, uh, Michigan with Harbaugh, ten and three, a win in the Citrus Bowl, ten and three, a loss in the Orange Bowl, eight and five, a loss in the Outback Bowl, ten and three, a loss in the Peach Bowl. And now they are nine and three, awaiting a bowl game to try and make it ten and three. If he wins the bowl game, he'll have won ten games in all but one of his seasons. And I'm right there with you. Who is out there that you're going to go get? Unless it's a Chris Peterson who just stepped down at Washington, but I don't know who you're going to get. Same thing with uh, with the Auburn faithful. I mean, okay, you want Malzahn out, but but who's that guy? that's going to be able to, you know, beat Alabama, you know, every other year. Like, th- that's a tall task that Malzahn has proved he can do. Michigan has shown, uh, Harbaugh has shown, you know, uh, can create a program to win 10 games a year. I believe Michigan has, like, one national championship. It- it's in their in their program's history. It's not like... Yep, 1997, that was their one national we, time championship. Right. It- it's not like, you know, I mean, you don't... It's not like they're out here, you know, with five national titles, six national titles. Jim Harbaugh has put them in in company in terms of their hit their school's history. Ten wins a year is fantastic. I mean, he is doing things that even uh, Schembechler sometimes did not do at Michigan. So, okay, you want him out, but who are you bringing in to to sustain that success. The bottom line is right now, Ohio State has better athletes and they're in a better position than Michigan. 
the the sustained success run that Ohio State has had, you know, they're 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 recruiting better athletes at a lot of the key positions. You saw Shea Patterson come from Ole Miss to Michigan. He's been okay, but that really hasn't worked out offensively. They've struggled a little bit under Harbaugh, but you know, ten wins a year, that's really, really hard to argue with, isn't it? Especially historically, that's where Michigan is. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I made that point that as a program, Michigan has only won 11 games in a season seven times. Ohio State won seven games in a year every season they had Urban Meyer. Right. Like, Ohio State's rivals are more, they're a lot closer to like the Alabama plane of things in Ohio State. Meanwhile, Michigan is having a hard time crawling over Wisconsin. Uh, since 2000, Cody, Michigan has won three times in the Michigan-Ohio State game. They won in 2000, 2003. Their last win was the 2011 six and 6-6 Luke Fickle year when Braxton Miller was the team's quarterback. That was the last time Michigan beat Ohio State. They've won three times wow. since 2000. So this rivalry is starting to look a lot more like Bedlam. Well, I mean, not historically, but, you know, they talk about, oh, it's Bedlam, anything can happen. Uh, they've met 114 times in the Bedlam series. Oklahoma State, I'm, I'm going to take a guess for this. Uh, they've met 114 times. Guess how many times Oklahoma State has actually won Bedlam? Out of 114, I'll say 45 times. 18. Holy cow. Oklahoma's the all-time record is 89, 18, and 7. Wow. Oklahoma State from 1945 to 1965, from 1945 to 1966, they won three times. From 1967 to 1995, they had one win and a tie. Oklahoma State has won four times since 2000. They won in 2001 and 2002. They won in 2011, and then they won and they won again in 2014. So that is an incredibly one-sided rivalry. I'm not saying that because historically Michigan has more wins than Ohio State in the rivalry, 58 to 51. But the way this rivalry is trending, it might be once it might continue to be one-sided. So. That, we'll move on now to the NBA. Uh, Cody, the NBA ratings were down 16% over the first month of the season. Is it crisis time in the NBA? Because through November 22nd, games were averaging 1.45 million viewers across ESPN and TNT. And depending on how you are with like where you put the decimal points in rounding, that's either a 16% drop or a 17% drop. That's around 300,000 viewers a game. Do you, do you see this as an issue for the NBA that viewership is down either 16 or 17% depending on where you put the decimal? Uh, I mean, I think it's a bit concerning, but you also have to look at the injury to Kevin Durant uh, the injury, the coming back late, Paul George, the injuries that Golden State has have they have they have been uh, a very tough watch. Uh, t- 
I mean, I was, I saw the, uh, I went to the Orlando Magic Golden State game uh, on Sunday, and I mean, you got guys out there that I don't think Golden State fans uh, can even, you know, tell you who they are or where they, uh, what school they came from. So, I mean, I think there is a little bit of a cause cause for concern there, but with a bunch of the stars being out. Uh, with the dominance of the football season here, I'm not as concerned about it. But you know, you point out. I mean, 16% is a is a pretty big number. I mean, that's you know, it's not you know five, six, eight. I mean, it 16% is pretty substantial. So I'll be curious to see if it rebounds. Uh, but you you know where a lot of these teams are at with injuries and those sorts of things, I think that has definitely played into it, has definitely uh, taken a hit for the NBA. You know, the load management, that whole deal, I think that plays into it a little bit. But I'm not as concerned. Let's see uh, how the numbers rebound uh, as football season wraps up, and and I guess we'll regroup from there. Well, here are a couple of reasons of why that might be a thing. Uh, LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard, play on the West Coast, which means for East Coast viewers, they have to stay up late to watch these guys play. Right. Uh, there's been unprecedented player movements. So just from – and what we've learned when we did these things is people around the demographic that the NBA is looking for, they don't necessarily follow teams. They follow players. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. So – you might not be an LA Lakers fan, but you could be an Anthony Davis fan, or you might be a Zion Williamson fan, you know, or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Steph Curry, he's injured. He's not playing. Zion's not playing. Kevin Durant is missing the whole year. And plus ratings. I don't know how much you remember from Mark Newcomb's television class, Cody, but ratings are an incredibly flawed and archaic system. There's maybe only like a hundred thousand Nielsen homes in the entire country, and that hundred thousand is attempting to speak for the television habits of everybody, which I don't have time to go into the reasons how that's skewed. Plus, people aren't really watching cable anymore. Think of all of the ways you can watch TV now. You know, you can watch. You've got Sling TV. Uh, Hulu, if you've seen the Hulu ads, Hulu has live sports. You've got the NBA TV app. You've got PlayStation View where you don't need cable anymore. You can just watch TV directly from your Xbox and your PlayStation. So it's not as simple as it used to be. It used to be if something was on Thursday night at 7, you had to be physically in front of your TV Thursday night at 7. Appointment viewing was the only viewing out there. But now there's now there's DVR. Now, if I miss an episode, yeah. okay, it's going to be on Hulu the next day. I don't have to worry about watching it live. All of these networks have an app where you can go on the channel. You can go on the app that has the channel, and you can watch episodes from there. I mean, granted, that's more of like a TV show thing than a sports thing. But just the consumption habits have drastically shifted to where live TV is just one of the many ways, legal and illegal, that you can watch sports and 
by extension television. No, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you know, you can watch TNT games, you know, on your phone. I've done that. You know, you're out and about and you're you're doing something when a game is on. You can you can flip over uh, if it's on ESPN. You can watch it on your phone. You know, those aren't those aren't those aren't factoring in to uh, most of those Nielsen ratings, as you pointed out. So, you know, I I think it is a bit concerning, but with that number, but you know, Evans, people are still consuming the NBA. I think the NBA is is in a very, very good spot in terms of being a professional league and where they stand and the league's popularity. So, I mean, a little bit concerning where you're at, but all of the different ways you can watch now and where the league is at, uh, I think the NBA is looking at it and they are not as concerned uh, I mean, obviously a little bit concerned with that number, but I, I don't think as concerned as uh, maybe if you would have gotten a you know a 16% decrease maybe 5 to 10 years ago. Uh, Evan, in the Western Conference, the Lakers are the class of it. They have won 17 of their first 20 games. They are 17-3. and three. They are out to a much better start than I thought they'd be. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10. I knew LeBron and Anthony Davis were going to be good, but I didn't think the rest of the ensemble was going to uh, play as well as they have to lead L.A. to the number one seed so far in the West. Well, to to make one last point on uh, why the NBA ratings are going down, where they the NBA's national TV schedule is out before the season even starts. So the Pelicans were on TV 30 times, Zion gets injured, and the whole reason is because they wanted to see Zion. Great point. And how are we supposed to know that the Warriors are going to crater and be playing some... I don't even know who Kai Bowman is, but he played more than 30-something minutes. He played over 30 minutes. So the NFL has the benefit of flex scheduling. Of uh, Like, in two weeks, the Buffalo Bills just got flexed into, just got flexed into the Sunday night game where the NBA can't just say, yeah, I know that we were supposed to have Pelicans nuggets on this game on Thursday night TNT, but we're going to take this Lakers game and move it there instead. Like they're locked into the schedule that they have, but to move, to move back to your point about the LA Lakers, I, I, I want to say I'm surprised, but at the same time, I can't say I'm surprised because you know, when you put LeBron and Anthony Davis on the same team and they're healthy, these are the kinds of things that happen. That basketball, it's all about, let's get the best guy, let's get the best five guys on the floor and we'll figure chemistry out later. And when you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis and you can put guys like Alex Caruso, who is becoming like an internet favorite, you can have... JaVale McGee and whatever's left of Dwight Howard out there. But the Milwaukee Bucks currently own the best record in the NBA, and they have not one, but two Antetokounmpo brothers. I don't know if you saw that, Cody. I did. Yep, they've got not one, but two Antetokounmpo brothers. The third one, Kostas, is a two-way player on the LA Lakers. So let's see how I tied that all in together. (laughs) Uh, Well done. So the Milwaukee Bucks won 132 to 88. When you when you look at the way the NBA is shaping up, 
Can we get a Bucks Lakers play? Can we get a Bucks Lakers finals? I know it's early December and we've got a long way to go, but I want to see the Bucks and the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we could get there. You'd have Giannis against LeBron and Anthony Davis. Uh, the Bucks have uh, won their last ten. They are ten and zero in their last ten games, eighteen and three. They are first in their division, first in the Eastern Conference. They have a two-game lead right now over the Toronto Raptors, who have played really, really well, and a three-game lead over the Miami Heat, who are also playing very, very well. Two teams that I don't think anyone would have expected to be the number two and number three seeds in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Philly down at the five seed, albeit just uh, three games back of Milwaukee. But yeah, this Milwaukee team playing very, very well, and we might uh, we might be able to get that Giannis versus LeBron matchup. Uh, Milwaukee has won 12 straight, so I don't want to undersell them there. But uh, Giannis is, I mean, he's playing Evan at, a, at an MVP caliber level once again. He's averaging 30 points, 13 rebounds, uh, five assists, and almost one and a half steals and one and a half blocks as well, playing nearly 32 minutes a night. He is darn near unstoppable and he cannot shoot. Just imagine if this guy could step out. He's shooting 30% from three, uh, 57% from the floor, much of that happening at the rim, dunking the basketball. Just imagine if he was even at like 33% or 34% from three. This guy would be even more unstoppable than he already is. And he's already won an MVP. I mean, could he could he win another one? I mean, James Harden right now is looking like a guy that you could put like I made this point in the previous podcast that you could put seven guys on the floor against James Harden and he would still score probably 30 points. Like that guy is I don't know how he scores as many points as he does. He he scored 31 points at ha- at halftime against the Atlanta Hawks. He only took 24 shots and scored 60 points in a game. 24 shots, he scored 60 points. It's wild. He, thir- nearly 39 points a game for James Harden. And still six rebounds and, uh, and nearly eight assists. I mean, it's not like it's... I mean, it, it, it's pretty much hero ball, but he can still make the right pass, and he's still doing... Uh, can still do that. His last 10 games, 40 points a night, 40% from three. Evan, this guy is the best scorer in the league right now. It's not really close, and he may be the best scorer that we've seen in the game in the past uh, 20 or 30 years. I can't think of another one that can score as efficiently and as quickly as James Harden, where you just look up and you're like, oh, he has 45 points? I don't know how he did that. Like, like I feel like he could score, like, 35 and be like, okay, well, he only scored 35, and, like, you're bummed that he didn't crack 40. Like, the NBA right now, like, even with all the doom and gloom about the ratings, it's still been a somewhat entertaining season because we thought that maybe the Toronto's window was one and done, but... They've cobbled together a team that is making you wonder whether or not the window is a lot more open than it was last season. They're the number two team in the Eastern Conference at 15-4. and four. I don't think a lot of people had that. 
Yeah, no, I definitely didn't. I mean, I, I I liked where they were at. I think I picked them to be the five seed. But yeah, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and they're doing, you know, the Raptors, if you look at it, Evan, they're doing it without uh, some of their guys. You know, Abaka has been out, and he is a major, major part of what they do uh, from a depth perspective. They have had no depth, and they are 15-4, and four, second in the East, a couple games behind Milwaukee. Uh, they are undefeated at home. They play very, very well in the Eastern Conference. They have only two uh, losses in conference play in their first 11 games. It's a team that plays very, very well defensively and can score as well. And a team that, you know, you'd look at the roster and say, you know, they might struggle to score at times with Lowry out, with Abaka out. But Norman Powell stepped up, Pascal Siakam. Fred Van Vliet is playing an absurd amount of minutes, uh, nearly 38 a night. This Raptors team, you mentioned it. The window might be a lot more open than we thought it was when uh, Kawhi Leonard decided to head west and head to the Clippers. And you you wonder what that team was capable of because – when you look when you look at it on paper, how can you lose Kawhi Leonard and still somehow twenty games into the season have the second best record in the Eastern Conference? Like Kawhi Leonard was kind of seen and somewhat rightfully so that was a one he was a one man band in Toronto and carried the team to himself, but they're showing that oh no, we had some guys on that team, especially Pascal Siakam, who I don't know where they found that guy. Like, but he is rapidly turning into one of, if not the best stretch fours in the NBA. And, you know, you got to give credit to Masai Ujiri and the staff to go out and find a guy like Pascal Siakam. Mm -hmm. So, Cody, I'm going to shift to something a little bit more fun. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but the XFL uniforms come out today. Uh, who do you think is going to have the best and worst jerseys? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, trying to pull up the list of teams real quick because I think let's see here. I would say I think the I think the drag I think Seattle I think the Dragons are going to have the uh, the best uniform. I've been wondering, like, when was this going to happen? But then I looked up and it's like, oh, hey, uh, thank you, Twitter, for telling me that these jerseys come out today. Because I was wondering when it was going to happen because I kind of, like, put the XFL in, like, the back of my mind and hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> I, I don't know who I think's going to have the best jersey. Uh, I hope that at least from an aesthetic standpoint, they don't look like the AAF jerseys where a few of them were okay. And a couple of them were like, I mean, you kind of handcuffed yourself with the color palette there, but I just want these jerseys to be aesthetically pleasing. Like give us something cool and interesting to look at. Like I, I want to say that I hope that like the DC defenders, because they're going with like the classic, red and white for colors i you know you can do a lot with red and white so i think they might have the best in terms of who might have the worst um maybe the la wildcats with the red and orange i don't really know what you can do with the red and orange but we'll have to see 
when the uniforms come out of who has the best looking jersey, who has the worst looking jersey. But they're doing a pretty interesting concept of each team is going to have its own individual personalized. They're not just going with one game ball. Each team has a different game ball, which I think is a bit of an interesting touch. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I definitely think that's an that's uh, an interesting touch. Look, I mean, you know, you know, it, the XFL. You're trying to stand out in a bunch of different ways. I mean, they are, you know, their long term viability yet to be determined, but in terms of will they outlast the AAF, I think most definitely. Uh, and it's things like this, you know, doing the, the, the uniform reveal and those sorts of things that get people excited about it. And, you know, we'll have to uh, see when those hit the Twitter sphere uh, and see what they look like. My money is on the Dragons. Uh, I think they're going to have the best looking one. It, with that green and red, it, it could be a little out of control, but we'll uh, we'll see what these look like. Well, hopefully they can outlast the AAF because the AAF one didn't even finish their first season, and they lasted, I believe, like just over two months. Like, uh, like they lasted just over two months. It's it was really sad to see the league go, mostly because. The more opportunities guys get to play, the better it is for everybody. So you should. I'm rooting like crazy for the XFL to succeed because the more chances guys get to play, the better it is for everybody. Well, Cody Clark, I don't know when else I'm going to get the opportunity to plug this, but I'm just going to do it now. Uh, our final From the Booth show of 2019 is going to be a year in review podcast where Cody and I look at the entirety of 2019 in sports. What the best, the best of 2019, the worst of 2019. We're going to look at the entire year and we're going to decide what our impressions of 2019 will be. Well, Cody, it's December 3rd right now. Uh, what has been your favorite story? So, what has been your favorite story of the Thanksgiving week? I'm not 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 looking at the whole year because we've got a whole show for that. But just of the Thanksgiving week, what was your favorite story or favorite thing that you saw? Uh, that's a good question. I I probably have to go Auburn Alabama game. Uh, that was just a wild contest where 48 points were scored combined in the second quarter. That was one of the one of the most exciting things that I saw all week. So yeah, I would say that was one of my one of the favorite things that I saw. Uh, you know, this past week was that game. Really, really fun to watch. Crazy uh, endings, crazy plays. The game pretty much had it all. So I'd uh, that's where uh, I'd stand. Where do you stand? My pick is, you know, I wasn't all the way in on the Buffalo Bills, where it's like, okay, they they've kind of feasted on not that great of a schedule. What would happen? Thanksgiving in Dallas and they looked really good. And I was, I, I came away impressed with them, especially that defense. I've kind of talked myself into Buffalo being a challenge in the playoffs. I've maybe not halfway, but I've at least <laughs> more than 20% of the way have talked myself into you know, this Buffalo team, I think, is a lot better than people think. No, that's a that's a great, great point. I'm right there with you, and uh, I, I totally agree that 
I really like where they are headed, and I think that it's going to be a team, especially this weekend against the Ravens, going to be a fun uh, a fun watch with the way that they play defensively and the things that Josh Allen can do at the helm for the Bills. All right, Evan, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. You mentioned the year in review show. That is absolutely going to be something that is coming up in the coming weeks before the end of 2019. So we will have that for you. We will be back next week with another episode as well here on the From the Booth podcast. We appreciate you all tuning in to the pod. Uh, as always, you can give us a follow on Twitter at From the Booth Pod. Uh, Wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you find them, we are available to listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, basically anywhere you get your podcasts, we have the From the Booth podcast. So subscribe, uh, make sure you get the notifications of when we post new episodes and check those out as well. Uh, If you are somewhere where you get your podcasts where you don't see us, let us know. But uh, we are pretty much in all of those places where you can find uh, your podcast to listen to. Uh, Also, do us a favor. Give us a a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a comment uh, about how you enjoy the show as well. Some of you have already done that. We are greatly appreciative of that. But if you have not, that really helps us out uh, in the uh, Apple algorithms and and whatever else goes on there. Uh, For you to find the From the Booth podcast, that helps us out a lot. So go ahead and do uh do that for us and we uh we greatly appreciate you but uh, i think that pretty much checks all my boxes here special thanks to evan eichen as usual uh, my co-host for co-hosting this podcast we really appreciate all the work that you do evan it's been fun and it's going to continue to be fun really looking forward to that year in review show that's going to be uh, a special podcast a special episode that we'll publish outside of our weekly uh podcast so be on the lookout for that But other than that, that's going to do it for us this week here on the From the Booth podcast. We appreciate you all listening. We are right back here next week.